Today, after just over two years, we come to our 74th and final message from the book of John. 74 messages from the book of John. And we've been here now for just over two years. And I hope truly in my heart that you've enjoyed our time in this gospel as much as I have. I don't know about you, but I feel that my faith has been strengthened. I feel that my heart has been challenged by this gospel about believing. And I hope that you feel the same way. I think it's just been a a great time. But as we've been in our study of the book of John, we've been building a great foundation for what we're going to be doing next. And next we're going to be moving into the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters long as opposed to 21, but I do want to encourage you to make sure that you come and be a part of that. And you know what? This is a great opportunity for you to invite somebody else to join you. There may be people who would love to come just to check it out. Just tell them, come see, we're getting ready to do a new study. Come see, check it out, and be a part of our study of the book of Ephesians. But if you'll remember... The last time we were together, we spent a really meaningful time talking about the cost of following Jesus Christ, didn't we? We said that it could cost you absolutely everything. We said that you must be willing to pay it all if you want to follow Jesus Christ. We listened to the conversation of our Lord as he told Peter that he had to give up absolutely everything, including his own life if he wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We listened as the Lord challenged Peter's love for him and said, do you really love me? I mean, do you really? And we listened as Peter, who seems to have had a tendency to speak and act before he really thought things through. And we listened as he hesitated to claim to have the highest form of love for Jesus Christ because he knew that he had failed him so many times. He knew that he had failed him. He knew that his actions did not always reflect the kind of love that Jesus was asking him about. He knew that they didn't. And I believe that he was broken. I believe that his heart was broken. I believe that Peter was contrite. I believe that he was humbled. And he was not willing to make another claim that he knew that he couldn't support. He had done that enough times. He had learned his lesson. And he wasn't about to make another claim that he knew that he couldn't support. But... In His great love, and His great mercy, and in His great compassion, Jesus Christ restored Peter, didn't He? He restored him to ministry. And last week, I had a great time of praying for many of you who felt that you also had been a disappointment to the Savior. There were many of you who came forward and they claimed that they had just disappointed Him from time to time. You claim that you love Jesus Christ, yet you know that your actions don't always support it. And I had the opportunity, the privilege of praying with many of you. And I had a great time doing that. I had a great time praying the Lord would restore you to a place of useful service and to a place of commitment to the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that that's exactly where Peter was. And the Lord graciously restored Peter. He graciously restored him to a place of ministry. Take a look at verse 19 of John chapter 21. And this is where we find ourselves this week. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So after he had restored Peter, he says to him, follow me. And this wasn't the first time, of course, that Peter had heard Jesus speak these words to him. You remember at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Peter and some of his buddies were out fishing. Jesus came walking along on the shore and he said, Peter, follow me. And what did Peter do? Peter got up. He left absolutely everything behind him. He left his business. He left his family and he got up and he followed Jesus Christ. But 
In recent days, Peter had gone back to his old way of life, hadn't he? You remember that from a couple of weeks ago. He'd gone back to his old way of life. He said, forget it, I can't do it. I can't make it. And so he had just given it all up and he'd gone back to his old way of life. And so Jesus, after he restored him, looked at him and he said to him again, Peter, follow me. Leave it all behind, Peter, just like you claim to have done the very first time. I want you to leave it all behind. Get up and walk away from it all. By this point, Peter had already been forgiven. He had already been restored. And Jesus again gives him that same command. Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to commit yourself completely to follow me. How many of you know that sometimes you need your call to be refreshed and you need to be reminded that sometimes you still need to drop everything and just latch on to Jesus Christ and follow him closely because a lot of times the world gets in our ways and we begin to gravitate toward the things that we know and we end up going back to our old ways of life we end up going back to the things that we know best and sometimes the Lord has to call us away from those and he has to say to us Peter follow me I want you to commit yourself completely to me once again and I want you to follow me you know I'm always amused the way my perspective has changed as I get older. Over the years, I can remember as a child living at home with my parents, and I would often become really frustrated with the way my parents handled things around the house. I mean, what was wrong with them? Really? Young people, if your parents are anything like mine, it's easy to become frustrated with them because sometimes they just don't get it, do they? I mean, honestly, young people, your parents don't always get it. I know that, right? Let me show you what I mean. So when I was a kid, uh, I, I lived on a farm for a while in the Mississippi River bottoms of Illinois. And we used to heat our house with a wood stove. And so, of course, if you heat your house with a wood stove, somebody has to be responsible to carry the wood from the big pile outside into the basement where the stove is, right? So somebody has to carry the wood, and, and that was always me. I mean, without fail, it was always me. And when I carried the wood, also without fail, it was always snowy outside. There was always snow on the ground, and I'm telling you, I had to go uphill to get the wood. I'm not lying about that. And I had to go uphill to bring it back in the house, too. But uh, I have an older brother, and most of you met him a few weeks ago, and he never had to do a thing. He never did anything. I always had to do it all. Now, if you ask him, I'm sure he's going to tell you that's not quite the way he remembers it, because I've heard him say many times over the year, Scott never had to do anything around the house. I had to do it all. But I want you to know right now that my older brother was wrong. You see, the problem is he could never really appreciate the sheer volume of wood that I carried into the house all winter long. All he did was just sit there in his warm bedroom listening to music on his eight-track tapes and just enjoying the heat that he didn't know that I was providing for him. He didn't know all the work that I was doing. He just had to sit there and enjoy it. And as most kids... We have brothers and sisters who don't do anything like I did. When my dad would say, Scott, I want you to go out and carry in the wood, it was my duty to remind my dad that I had brothers and sisters who weren't doing anything. And so it sounded just like this. No way, Dad. I always carry in the wood. What about Mike? He never has to do anything around here. All he has to do is sit around and listen to music in his bedroom. Does that sound familiar, parents? Have any of you had those conversations? And so this is where I would become really frustrated. You know, I'm like, my dad would always answer by saying this. I'll take care of Mike. You just take care of Scott. He's none of your business. All you have to do is go do what I told you to do. Does that sound familiar, young people? Have you heard that before? I know you have. 
And I'm thinking to myself, how could my dad be so ignorant of the fact that I have to do everything around here? Can he not see everything that I'm doing? I mean, that's not fair. Parents, have you ever had that conversation? How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you had to deal with that? And you know what the answer was? Every time I would tell my dad, look, dad, that's not fair. Parents, how do you answer that? Well, son, life is not fair. And the sooner you come to terms with that, the better, right? How many of you have ever heard that? So now here I am all these years later, and I'm having the exact same discussion with my own children. And it's great. I mean, I love it. The context changes a bit because my kids don't have to carry, you know, wood uphill and the snow without shoes like I did. (laughs) And my kids aren't listening to music on eight track tapes like my brother, but the content basically is still the same. I want to show you what it sounds like at my house. It sounds like this. Go outside and pick up sticks. This is me. Go outside and pick up sticks. No way, dad. What about her? I have to do everything around here. She never does anything but watch TV. Or how about this one? I want you to go empty the dishwasher. No way, Dad. What about him? He never does anything but play Xbox. That's it. And so what do I say, parents? I say this. I'll take care of her. I'll take care of him. You take care of you. He or she is none of your business. All you have to do is what I told you. That's all you have to do. And what do they say? That's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that sound about right? That's not fair. But there's just something, my friends, about the human condition, isn't there? There is just something about the human condition that is so finely attuned to anything that it perceives to be an injustice or an inequality, especially if it's happening to me. I'm especially tuned in if there's just the slightest mistreatment, if there's the slightest inequality, if it's directed toward me. And it makes me shout, wait a minute, what about him that's not fair? What about her? So as we approach our passage for today, I want you to just picture with me the disciples now sitting on the shore. They're eating breakfast with the resurrected Christ, a miraculous breakfast that he's provided for them from nothing. Jesus And the witness of all of the other disciples has had a conversation with Peter and he's restored him to apostolic ministry after Peter had gotten up and walked off. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, come follow me. So Peter and Jesus get up and they're walking along the shore for some time talking. And then in verse 20, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. You know, The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? This is Peter's favorite way, or John's favorite way of saying it was me. He likes to say, I'm the one that Jesus loved. That's John. And when Peter saw him in verse 21, he said to Jesus, what? Lord, what about him? What about this man? After restoring Peter to ministry, Jesus had prophetically spoken to Peter, telling him what kind of a death he was going to die. It sounded like this. He said, Peter, you're no longer in charge. You're going to follow me from now on. You're going to serve me. You're going to follow me at whatever the cost. And at some point, you're going to pay the ultimate price. And this time you won't run away. This time you won't deny me. When you get older, somebody's going to tie you up. They're going to bind you. They're going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. And when you get there, you're going to be crucified. And Peter, after hearing this, says, well, yeah, but what about him? 
But what about him? Isn't that refreshing? Isn't it really nice to know that this problem is not new to our generation? Isn't it nice to know that this problem is not new to your household? This is an age-old problem. What about him? It's just a sad reality. It's a sad byproduct of our fallen humanity. It happens in homes all around the world. It happens in workplaces all around the world every single day. And may I take it a step further for you? May I suggest to you that it happens in churches all around the world every day as well? Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Romans 12, you see Paul talking about spiritual gifts to the two different churches, Corinth, and then the letter that he wrote from Rome as he was in prison there. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's verse 27. Now I'm going to take you back to Romans chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function... So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us do what with them? Let us use them. Now I want to take you down to verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is what it says. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. Okay, so this is good. We get it, right? What we're finding out here is that we are all many individual members of one body. We get that, don't we? We understand that. This is Paul's favorite analogy to the church. He wants us to understand that the church functions like a body, and so he often calls the church the body of Christ. And we get it. We know that each of us have unique gifts. We all have unique abilities, and we know that they all differ from everyone else according to the way that God has uniquely designed us. We know that already, right? We know that He's designed us all with different mixtures of spiritual gifts. And we know that we need to use them, right? But what are we supposed to use them for? Now take a look at the last part of verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. Listen, we use them for the common good. He has gifted you. He has given you skills, abilities, passions, talents, and experience for one thing, and that's for the common good. You use all of those things to build everyone else up. We use all of those things to build up the body, everyone else around you. You see, He has uniquely designed you. He has uniquely developed you with certain combinations of gifts and abilities. He's not done that so that you have a unique ability to serve yourselves. Did you get that? He did it for the common good of everyone else. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He did not uniquely gift me with the combination of gifts and abilities that I have so that I can prepare a message and then sit in my office and preach it to myself. He has given me what He has given me so that I can build up the rest of you. He has given me the abilities that I have so that I can share them with everyone else and build up this body so that you become strong in the Word of God, so that your roots dig deep in the Word of God. That's why He's done that. It's for the common good. It's to build up everyone else. And it would be disobedience for me to do anything else. Do you understand that? If I were to sit there and use my gifts only to build myself up, or if I were to refuse to use them at all, it would be disobedient of me. And you know what I say sometimes? 
Sometimes I say, but wait a minute, God. What about him? Why doesn't anyone else have to sit in their office on Saturday studying the Word of God and preparing a message for the rest of the body? That's not fair. I do that every Saturday. What about everybody else? That's what it sounds like for me from time to time. For you, I think it's probably pretty much the same, isn't it? Wait a minute. What about her? Why doesn't she have to spend her Saturday mornings cleaning toilets and vacuuming floors at the church? That's not fair. Why do I have to do that? Why doesn't anybody else have to do that? But wait a minute. What about him? Why doesn't he have to spend his Friday afternoons and his Saturday mornings hauling equipment to the Harms' house for a harvest party? That's not fair. I have to do all of that. Nobody else does. But listen, God had uniquely designed Peter. And he had uniquely designed John. And each one of them had gifts and they had abilities that empowered them to do different ministries in ways that only they could do them. Did you know that? And they used their gifts to build up the body of Christ. Peter and John both used their gifts to do that. John ministered in the area of Ephesus. We know that. And we know that he was the author of five books of the Bible of the New Testament, including the Apocalypse or what you know as the book of Revelation. He wrote as he was on the Isle of Patmos in exile. We know that Peter wrote two books of the New Testament. We know that Peter was known as the apostle of the Jews. They had different abilities. They had different skills. And they both were faithful in their ministry. And listen to me, my friends. Without the faithful ministry of each of those two men, do you know the body of Christ would not have become what it is today? The body of Christ would be much weaker today than it was without their ministry. And I love the response of Jesus. Isn't this so fatherly? Take a look at verse 22. Jesus said to them, I just love this, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What does Jesus say to Peter here, young people? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'll take care of John. You take care of Peter. That's none of your business. You just do what I told you to do. Isn't that pretty much his response? He says, don't worry about him. I've got a handle on him. You only worry about what I told you to do. You just do what I told you. I'll take care of the rest of it. Listen to me, friends. Don't worry about the ministry that God has for other people. Don't worry about the ministry that God has for other people. Don't worry about how much they do and do not do. You follow me. You have it? Don't worry about what all these other people are doing. Don't worry about what they're not doing. You follow me. Do what I told you to do. You do what I have uniquely gifted you for. You do what I have uniquely equipped you to do. And as we learned earlier in the chapter, obey me and do what you were told to do. And there is what? There's blessing. Do what I told you to do and there's blessing. Disobey me and you cannot expect that I'm going to extend blessing to you. You will expect a level of failure. Look, I want all of you to know it's no accident that you're here at this body of believers. Do you know it's no accident that you're here? From the very beginning of our church plant two years ago, Beth and I have always said that God has always managed to bring the exact right people at the exact right time. It's absolutely true, and I am 100% convinced of it. 
He has always brought the right people at exactly the right time. Listen to me, friends. If you are here, it's because you have a unique gift. It's because you have a unique combination of abilities and skills that God wants to use to build up the body at Root River Church. You have a unique combination of abilities that nobody else in this room has that he has given to you for the common good. You need to use it to build up the body. There's a place in this body that you are uniquely qualified to fill. There's a place in this body, I'm going to say that again, that you are uniquely qualified to fill. And I want you to understand that if you're here, it's because you have a unique gift, unique combination of abilities, a unique combination of skills, that God wants you to use to build up the body at Root River Church. I want you to know that that's true. There's a place here that nobody else can fill in the same way that you can fill it. There's a ministry here for you that nobody else is as qualified to fill as you are. No one else can do it. And just like Peter, you've probably failed Christ from time to time. Just like Peter... You've very likely done some things that you think disqualify you from ministry in the church. You've done some things that you think disqualify you from ministry in the body. If you're anything like me, you've done some things that make you feel like you're not qualified to do the work that God has called you to do. But may I suggest to you that God's economy is different than yours? May I suggest to you that it is those very failures that you find as disqualifiers, those very heartbreaks, those very experiences that you have gone through that have broken you down and made you feel absolutely worthless, it is those things that uniquely qualify you to fit your place of ministry in the body. Did you know that? It is those experiences, those very things that has uniquely gifted you. They have uniquely built your ability to do what only you can do in this body. We don't have anybody else quite like you. You're unique. You're one of a kind. There's nobody else quite like you. And that is precisely why God brought you here. Because there's nobody else quite like you. Listen to me. Follow him. Follow Him. Get to work. Use your unique skills. Use your unique abilities and experiences to build up everyone else who's sitting around you. But wait a minute. What about Him? What about her? He'll take care of them. He will take care of them. You take care of you. They're really none of your business. You don't have to worry about what anyone else does. Just do the work that He's called you to do. That's all. Put yourselves, my friends, in a place where you're able to receive the blessing of being obedient to God. Put yourself in a place where you can be blessed for your obedience. Keep your hand to the plow. It's really possible that no one else is ever going to understand. It's really possible that no one else is really going to appreciate the sacrifice that He's called you to make. That's possible. In fact, I'll tell you it's likely. Nobody else is going to understand. But I want you to know that he does. And he's the one that keeps the books. Did you hear that? Nobody else may appreciate what you do. But if you're obeying him and if you're doing what he's called you to do, blessing will follow. It's possible no one will ever know what you do to build up the body of Christ but him. Continue to be faithful. Continue to build the body.
Continue to offer the worship of sacrifice. Continue to give yourselves up for the rest of the body. Continue to give Him the very best that you have, even if it costs you absolutely everything. Because to follow Him is costly. Isn't it? To follow Him is costly. So listen, each and every individual present in the body has a purpose. We get that. The problem is that many times people don't want to do what they're uniquely gifted to do. They come so that they can be built up. You see, they draw the line at doing things to contribute to the common good of the rest of the body. I'll just come and you can build me up. I need a time of refreshing. I need a time where I can just focus on myself. I need a time where I can just look at me. I just want you to know that you may think that that's good for you. You may think that that's just what the doctor ordered. But I want you to know that it is the complete opposite of the instruction of Scripture. You see, and that's the problem. This is a problem that is absolutely epidemic in our churches. It's a problem that is epidemic in our entire society today. You see, everyone is always in a season where it's all about me, aren't they? Everybody is always in a season where it's all about me. It's called life. Everybody is in a season where it's all about me. We're all in a place where we just need to focus on ourselves. You see, it's called gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's called sin. That's what it's called. The enemy of your soul would love nothing more than for you to spend your whole life being nothing but a season where you focus on yourself. That's what he wants for you. And when you do that, when you fall into that trap, you are not performing your critical role to the common good of the body. You see, the call to follow Jesus Christ is a call to sacrifice yourself. It's not a call to invest in yourself. That's the complete opposite. It's a call to give up everything, not a call to get as much as you can for yourselves. The issue, as it pertains to the body of Christ, listen to this, is that if you are not participating to the capacity that He has designed you in the body of Christ, the entire body suffers. Do you understand that? Imagine if your eyes said, you know what, I just need to invest in myself for a while, so I'm going to take a few years off. I need to just think about myself and focus on myself a little bit more. Then you know what happens? Then your toes have to try and find everything. Do you know what that's like? Come to my house in the middle of the night and watch me get up to go to the kitchen and kick some things that are laying in the hallway and everything else. That's what happens. That's my toes trying to do what my eyes are supposed to be doing. Listen to me, friends. Keep working. Stay engaged. Keep your hand to the plow. And if you're not already functioning to the common good of the body, get started. What are you waiting on? Get started. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. What about Him? Listen, don't worry about Him. Take care of you. He is none of your business. Do what God has called you to do. So after two years in the book of John, before we close this gospel out, there's one last thing that we need to consider. And this has been the driving thought has been the driving purpose of this entire gospel. We have said over the last two years, more times than I can count, that John clearly states his reason for having written this gospel. What does it say, friends? Chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Listen, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to know. 
John wants absolutely everybody to know. He wants you to know that the disciples and he himself were eyewitnesses to the many things that Jesus had done in his ministry. In fact, listen, he had done so many things that John said in verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John could not possibly begin to write down everything that he had seen firsthand for the last three years. He had seen so many things, but he wanted you to believe. He wanted your neighbors to believe. He wanted the people in your workplace to believe so that you would not die in your sin. He wanted you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that you could have life, so that you could live. And so what did he do? So he started his gospel. You'll remember all the way back to September of 2016. He started his gospel by saying that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And his proof of that was showing you the creator of all things. And by showing you the glory of the creator of all things, the glory that Jesus Christ had in heaven himself before he came to earth. He wanted you to know that Jesus was no less than God himself. And that's why Jesus was able to turn water into wine in chapter 2. That's why Jesus was able to heal the cripple in chapter 5. That's why Jesus was able to create food and walk on water in John chapter 6. That's why He was the Christ, the Son of God. That's why. That's why He was able to speak about the Word of God with such authority nobody had ever heard anything like that in John chapter 7. Of course, Jesus knew the Word of God. He was the one who wrote it. Of course he knew what it said. Of course he knew what it meant. Who else could have written and taught like Jesus Christ did? That's why he had such authority. He wrote the book. Who else could have seen, uh, who else would would you have seen heal all of those people who had been born blind in John chapter 8? Who else could ever have raised the dead in John chapter 11? Who but the Christ could control the details of his own death in John chapter 19? Who but the Christ can control the details after His death? But Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who but the Christ could physically raise Himself from the dead and pass through walls and doors that had been locked? But the Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 20, friends, listen. There were so many more pieces of evidence that John could have given us that they could have never been recorded. But after all, Why do you need all of those? Why would you need any more than you've already gotten? Because if you don't believe, after all that you've seen in the last two years, if you don't believe after everything you've seen in 21 chapters of the book of John, if you don't believe after all of that, would anything convince you? Would you ever be convinced? Probably not. And I want you to know that if not, the judgment is already in. As Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, you'll remember in John chapter 3, He said, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. They didn't want anybody to see what they were doing. So they appreciate the darkness more than the light. Listen. If, on the other hand, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if you believe that, you have life. But you have so much more than life. You have so much more than just that. It means that you are a part of His family. And in the coming weeks, 
as you begin to realize what it means to be a part of His family, praise is just going to well up inside of you, and you're going to join the Apostle Paul in crying out in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, and it sounds like this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. There's such reward. It's incalculable. And going forward, we're going to dig into it and we're going to see exactly what that means. And I want you to understand that because you believe in Jesus Christ, there's positional truth that you need to know. And I'm going to help you understand for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians what your position is before Jesus Christ, what your position is before Almighty God because you have believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then for the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, I'm going to tell you what that means to you practically. Because you are part of His family, because you believe in Jesus Christ, now it has to affect change. you understand? So make sure that you plan to join us November 4th as we move from the gospel of believing, as we move from this great gospel of John into the book of Ephesians, where you're going to find the truth of your position before Almighty God. Because you have been through this gospel about believing in Jesus Christ, and you have believed that He is the Christ, the Son of God. Have you? I just want to ask you one last question before we close. Have you become convinced, after all of this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. And after all this time, Lord, we have come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. We've come to believe that He's the Son of God. And I thank You for the life that's found through believing that truth. I thank You, God, for the spiritual growth and the blessing that I personally found in the last two years in the book of John. I thank You for the challenge of this morning, Lord, to keep our hands to the plow. I thank You for the challenge this morning to just focus on the call to follow You, regardless of what it costs us. And Lord, so I just pray that You would help each of these here this morning who have not responded to that call yet to find the place where they can plug in and use their unique skills that You have designed them with for the common good of the body and to build up the body of Christ to the glory of Your kingdom, we pray. 